Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I am so thankful that you've made the decision to join us for the Easter sunrise service. You know, there are a lot of things that people just don't believe, like the fact that I could be awake before 7 a.m., but hey, I have evidence that I was there. Have you ever thought about what's at stake if the resurrection isn't true? In this message, I'm going to explore a lot of questions that I have heard and often wondered myself surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This message is entitled, Resurrection, True or False? What if it's all a lie? What if we we read our Bibles and everything that was in the Bible is just forged in a back room somewhere and none of it's true? Have you ever thought about that? You know, that would mean something very scary for me. It means that I I would, I mean, I've spent my whole life believing a lie. I, I mean, my, my college degrees would be worthless. My marriage is built on a lie because we got married believing Scripture together. It'd mean that I've been brainwashing not only my own children, but other people's children as well. It means I've been preaching false doctrine all these years, and so God is angry with me. It would mean that my life has been wasted pastoring a church instead of doing something else that might make me rich or make me happy. Worse than that, it would mean I'm still a sinner and I'm headed for hell. My whole identity would be lost because I have based my identity on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And couldn't the same be said for you? If the resurrection isn't true, what are we even doing here? Why would we continue to meet week after week and read a book that furthers our belief in something that didn't really happen? If the resurrection isn't true, then all of Christianity falls apart. We can't even have organizations that do common good because you know these Christian organizations, they're based off Jesus' commands to, to care for the orphans and the widows and to make disciples of all nations. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then, then he was a liar and he can't be trusted. So this puts us in a, a very delicate position. Either we need to be able to prove that the resurrection really happened or we just need to pack up and go home. The entirety of the gospel is not a matter of follow the teacher and do your best. But Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected. We believe the resurrection happened because it's what scripture tells us. But what if scripture has been altered in some way? It could mean that we blindly accept it. You know, it's written in the Bible and, and we tell people uh, the Bible says so. So, so it would mean that, that none of that is legitimate. Occam's razor is a problem-solving principle that originated in the 13th century, and it states a line of reasoning that is the simplest answer is often correct. In other words, if it makes the most sense, that's most likely what happened. So, for example, let's say that I died and my body was taken to the morgue. And then someone comes to you and says, John's body is missing. Does it make sense that I had been resurrected from the dead or or? Would it make more sense that someone misplaced my body or it was stolen? Non-biblical sources confirm that Jesus was a real person who existed in the time frame that the Bible promotes. And the fact that the tomb was empty three days later, you know, after Jesus' crucifixion, that's not in question. That's, that's undeniable. 
That's not what's being brought into question. The question is, did the resurrection really happen? Because if it didn't, then, then all of this is for nothing. You know, sometimes we know just enough history to ask some very dangerous questions. For example, did you know that we don't have any of the original letters that make up the New Testament? All we have are copies of copies. So how can we know that we, what we read in the Bible is what the original authors wrote? How can we know that they haven't been altered in some way? Constantine became the first Christian emperor and, and issued the Edict of Milan in 313 AD, mandating religious tolerance of all beliefs, thereby ending the persecution of Christians. You know, that's a long time ago, 313 AD. How do we know that when Constantine became a Christian that he didn't alter what we read about Jesus in the Bible? How do we know that he didn't mandate which books would be in the New Testament and which ones wouldn't? Is it possible that Constantine had all theological works about Jesus altered and all of the originals destroyed? How can we trust our Bibles? Did you know that the King James Bible wasn't even written until 1611 A.D.? That's over 1,500 years for documents to be altered and changed. So how can we trust what the Bible says? Well, thankfully, the evidence for the resurrection has been given to us, not just in Scripture, but by other sources as well. Telling certain people, well, this is what the Bible says, will get you a very specific response. So, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't trust the Bible. And because of that, we have to look to other sources. At the close of the first century, we have works by a man named Josephus, who was a Greek-Jewish scholar for Rome. Josephus was not a Christian. He was a Jew. But, but despite this fact, he confirmed that not only did Jesus exist and he was crucified, but that he was risen from the grave three days later. And while many questions have been written, raised as to whether uh, Josephus actually wrote the things that that were in this letter that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls or whether they were altered, a Christian author, Michael Green, in his book Man Alive, writes, Josephus was a Jew writing to give an account to the Romans. This story would have not pleased them in the slightest. He wouldn't have included it if it didn't happen. So it's important to understand why this would have made the Romans unhappy. It's because during that time, Christians were hated and they were being hunted down and executed by the Romans. So for Josephus to write something like this would put his life in danger. So we are left with the question, did he write it or did he not? Again, nobody denies that the tomb was empty. However, Josephus, a non-believer, confirms that the resurrection happened and that several Jews became converts of the way. The claims of Christ are, of Christ are also confirmed in several other pagan documents claiming that Jesus was a magician and that he did miracles. They tried to explain how he was born of a virgin, claiming that, no, Mary must have been a prostitute and she held on to a lie. And they also confirmed that the tomb was empty, but, uh, but that Jesus had also um, must have had his body stolen by the disciples, as we see in Scripture, actually, that, that the Pharisees paid off people to do that. But consider this. All the Romans had to do to end the Christian faith was, was disprove the resurrection of Jesus by presenting the body of Jesus. That's all they had to do. They knew where the disciples could be found. Why then could they not produce a body? Could it be that if the body was really stolen, it wasn't by the disciples? 
But more so, why would each of the disciples have been willing to go to their deaths and promote something that they knew wasn't true? More so, why would they allow their friends and families to suffer and be put to death because they wanted to promote a lie? Does that make much sense to you? Twelve or Ten of the twelve disciples were martyred for their faith. And we know that Judas hung himself and, because he betrayed Jesus, but John, the twelfth disciple, he lived in exile because of the previous two attempts on his life by the Romans backfired. They tried to kill him, it just didn't work. And for 280 years after Jesus' crucifixion, people were, were unwilling to let go of the belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? Why would they give their lives if all this was fabricated later on? The belief that Constantine had scripture changed to promote his agenda is purely based out of ignorance of church history. Anybody that argues that does not realize that Constantine, that was not his agenda. First of all, we're not even certain if Constantine was actually a Christian. He wasn't baptized until his deathbed, so that shows that he didn't understand the point of baptism at all. What, do, what we do know is that Constantine was a politician. Constantine wanted to win the favor of all peoples, and he recognized that religious beliefs can be a very powerful motivator. So Constantine origin, originated the uh, a universal or Catholic church that combined several pagan belief systems with Christianity. For example, Easter and Christmas are a mix of pagan and Christian holidays. Tell me, what does the birth of Christ have to do with trees and lights? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with a moon cycle or bunnies or egg hunts? Easter originated from the celebration of Ishtar, the goddess of fertility. And they believed that the moon cycle, uh, they worshiped the moon because they believed that the moon brought fertility. And perhaps this can be explained why the common folklore is that when there's a full moon, that a lot of women go into labor. This understanding also helps us to explain what the big deal was with rabbits and eggs. Rabbits produce very quickly, and eggs are a symbol of fertility. These are pagan rituals mixed with Christianity. And I don't tell you this to discourage you by, you know, from celebrating the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. You should celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on every day. I instead tell you this to show you that Constantine wasn't really interested in following Jesus, nor was he interested in promoting Christianity. If he did so, it was for political gain, and that's it. He wanted to unite two kingdoms. So it's a huge stretch to believe that Constantine would waste time and energy and manpower to promote a Jesus that he really hadn't completely surrendered to much less his resurrection. He wasn't interested in making converts. He was interested in gaining power. However, it is undeniable that Constantine played a part in how we got the New Testament canon. Did Constantine really stack the Bible with a bunch of books that he liked and leaved out a, left out a bunch of books that he didn't? Sure, he could have had the final say. He was the emperor. However, we know that the New Testament canon wasn't decided until 40 years after Constantine's death. He wasn't even alive when they formed the New Testament. So how do we know that they didn't alter the scripture? Well, only in the last hundred years have we been able to confirm the authenticity of the Bible. In 1946, a small shepherd boy who lived around the Dead Sea chased a goat into, the cave, uh, into a cave, and he discovered one of 12 caves where um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were kept. 
The Dead Sea Scrolls were a, a list of documents, uh, both biblical and non-biblical, mostly the Old Testament, but parts of the New Testament as well, as well as other sources, for example, Josephus. Before then, before 1946, we weren't really able to confirm the authenticity of the authorship of the Bible. However, with its discovery, not only do we find documents dating from 100 B.C. to 300 A.D., before Constantine became uh, a Christian advocate, in this we found a piece of copy from the book of John, confirming that at least that passage was legitimate. Since then, however, we have discovered several other pieces of parchment confirming the authenticity of the New Testament. In other words, what you read in the King James Bible is, is a direct translation of what you read in those pieces of the biblical parchment. Not only would Constantine scholars have had to change the New Testament, but they would have to change the Old Testament as well, and Jewish traditions, which were firmly established. But thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls, pieces of every book of the Old Testament, with the exception of the book of Esther, have been verified and confirmed as being authentic because the findings were dated from 100 B.C., 100 years before Christ. Now, I've included uh, in, in the sermon notes a, um, a little um, document that, that gives us a list of scriptures and, that have been authenticated and confirmed as well uh, as the time periods that they've been dated to. And I really encourage you to go and read them because not only do they confirm that the authors wrote them before the potential tampering, but they have legitimate, that these people, these men and women, legitimately believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. But I've got even more exciting news for you. In 2012, it was confirmed that yet another discovery of ancient scripture was found and is supposed to be published sometime this year. It's from the book of Mark and it has been dated somewhere between 80 to 90 AD. This is huge. We believe we have finally found scripture that was written within the lifetime of the apostles of Jesus Christ. This is the issue. All this time we've been asking this question. What if it's all a lie? But I want to ask you a different question. What if it's all true? If, it, if, it, if it's a lie, then surely my entire life has been one giant waste of time. But if, but if it's true, then I have made the greatest investment that I could possibly make. I have trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and, and I've surrendered my life to follow the calling that he has placed on me. And I not only will be blessed by following him, but I will inherit eternal life. What if it's true? Does your life reflect the truth? Is your life a testimony that Jesus Christ is alive? It's not enough to believe in your mind. You must surrender to this truth in your heart. In truth, it doesn't matter how much evidence that you're presented with. Many people have investigated the overwhelming evidence for the resurrection and they still reject Jesus as Lord. And others have believed what they've heard from Scripture, heard and read from Scripture. How is it that some people can be presented with evidence and then they, they reject it and others can be presented with no evidence and they accept it? I believe this is because God enables us to believe. He sends us the Holy Spirit who works on our hearts and enables us to know Him. You know, there's a song by the Newsboys and it has a great message. It's called Guilty. And I want to read the lyrics for you just real quick. It asks, When did it become breaking 
a rule to say your name out loud in school, when your name is the only one that sets us free? When did it become incorrect to speak the truth about life and death when your life gave us all eternity? So even if it gets me convicted, I'll be on my knees with my hands lifted. If serving you is against the law of man, if living out my faith in you is banned, then I'll stand right before the jury. If saying I believe is out of line, if I'm judged because I'm, I'm going to give my life to show the world the love that fills me, then I want to be guilty. I want to be guilty by association of being a voice proclaiming that your ways, your truth, your life, I'll, pr I'll pay the price to be your light because I want to be guilty. Are you living in a way that others could convict you of being guilty for following Christ? Because the only way that happens is when you're convinced that the resurrection is true and you surrender your life to following him i want to conclude with a passage of scripture first corinthians 15 12 through 22 paul writes but if it's preached that christ has been raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And he, but he did not raise him. In fact, if he did not raise him, then, then we are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you're, it's, you're, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep are in Christ are lost. And if, and if this is the only hope that we have in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all of men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so all in Christ will be made alive. Praise God. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.